0: Now Yahweh, give me a good word, Father, In your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to always be that, nothing more than that. Coming from you, guiding my, my thoughts, my heart, my lips, Father, that I share only that with brothers and sisters, and that whosoever has an ear to hear the words, listen to the message, and go to your word, Father God, and seek your face. Seek that truth that you provide for us, and that knowledge that you willingly share with us, and that wisdom that you are so gracious to provide, Father. Abba Yahweh Aman Yeshua Aman Paraklutos Aman. So um, I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost compelled. Um, last couple. Times that I've shared, I was—I uh, have a tendency to get a little carried away when I talk about God and share the Word of God. Um, so I—I I feel like I was rushing a bit, and I apologize for that. But understand this: it's—it's it's, for me, it's worth getting excited about. It's—it's um, it's the Creator of everything made. I mean, He. He made me, he gives me breath in my lungs every day that I get up and I can do this. He allows me to do this. He provided the platform for me to be able to even share with you to do this. And, and I'm reaching places that I never, ever could imagine traveling to. If I was to, to reach out to some of these places that I've heard from, And do it on my own and and having to go with my passport and do all this and not even sure if I'd, uh, you know, I'd be sitting for hours in there and, and trying to get my service dogs through and all this. It would be a mess. And I'd be sitting in airports for hours and hours, if not days. But God provides me the opportunity to be able to reach out to people. And I can't travel like I used to, but you know what? This is a, what's that word? Uh, I believe the word is vicarious, (laughs) Uh, vicariously traveling. I believe that's what it is. Um, But I don't have to get on the actual airplane and travel. So by doing it this way, he allows me to vicariously travel to the nations. I don't have to do it physically, but He's allowing this to take place for my travel and my mission. I'm still performing that thing that the Lord told me to do, and that I firmly believe in doing. And that for various reasons I, can't, I I'm unable to perform anymore, but I'm doing this, and there are other things that He puts on my plate that I can do and handle. And he does that for me. My father, my heavenly father is so gracious in that way. Brothers and sisters, don't ever compare and say that you're not worth it and that you can't go do this and you can't go do that. Yeah. God knows all that. What? You think you're telling him something he doesn't know. So don't sit there on your pity pot and uh, instead of, taking a prayer posture, sitting at the desk to state and, and opening your hands and talking to God, sitting on a pity pot and, oh Lord, poor, poor, pitiful me, I can't this and I can't that and I can't do this and I can't do that. He already knows that. He doesn't need you to remind him of all that that you can't do or you're unable to do. He knows that you're weak. He knows you're wounded. He knows that you're scarred. And guess what? He loves you anyway. What you do is you, come, you present that weakness to him, but not Give him a whole list of things that are wrong with you that you can't do. Father, in my weakness, you are strong. Make me strong to do your will, Father. That's it. That's it. I love the fact that my Heavenly Father allows me to do this. So in talking with him this morning when he got me up to to get me going on this, there's some things that I was... Um, I was of course doing my my study material for my class, and this is really great. And I'm very anxious for this because the man that wrote this book is actually going to come and be a guest speaker. Wow, ooh, that's going to be cool. Um, and I'm really liking this book because I th- I believe I shared this with you the other day. I I love the ambiguity ambiguity that he put on the t- on the on the front of this book. If you read it, I mean you can you can tell. So it's not specifically a racial thing or an ethnicity thing. There's ambiguity in this because when you look at it, it says race to Jesus. So that could mean, oh man, yeah, Jesus is our goal. Let's run, let's get to him. Let's go that way, which is true. That's what we should be doing. That should be our goal. That should be what we attain to is to go and be in heaven not how many houses we can get, not how many cars we can have, not all that other crap that goes on around here. And remember, I shared this with you before, that God is a respecter of no man or woman. He doesn't care what your ethnicity is. He doesn't care what you have or what you don't have. He doesn't care how much you have or don't have. What he cares about is solely the character of your heart. So in looking at this Book, I I love the way he did this. There's no grammatical influence to this. It just says race to Jesus. But then, like I shared with you the other day, race, pause, to Jesus, there is none. That's what I was sharing with you the other day. There isn't any. And remember John 3, 16, I shared, that's a very important scripture. And yeah, I'm going back to it again because as John had this habitual thing and it's probably why they called him the uh, beloved disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, there are different ways that they said it in scripture, but he was always talking about the love. Always talking about the love. And this is an important thing because... I've shared this with you before too. They will know we are Christians by our love. If we are demonstrating that love that God has put into us and that love that Christ Jesus gave to us as an example, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what, how many cars you have, how many houses you have, or how many cotton-picking tennis shoes you have in a closet. I mean, I get disgusted when I see some of these things. These folks that people declare are heroes, but they play a game and they have an off-season of about seven months in length, but they're still making multiple millions of dollars a year. And this uh, one youngster is bragging about everything he has. And in each one of his houses, he has a closet that is set aside for his collection of shoes. Collection of tennis shoes. And he's got five homes in five different locations across the country. And each one has one of these big old closets full of shoes. Now, the question that I have, or the question that comes to mind, is, do you think that impresses God? Do you think God is impressed with that? I don't think so. But here's the other thing, too as long as he's righteous in his activities and he, he's doing the right thing by others and, and showing that, that Christian attitude, God's not going to mind him being prosperous in his field of endeavor. Unfortunately, I don't particularly see it that way because he does a lot of bragging on everything that he's done by himself. There is no such thing as a self-help on this plane of existence, so those individuals that uh, make their they make their monetary gain according to being a self help guru, and a wizard on telling people how they can do everything all by themselves is totally contrary to the scriptural teaching. We are supposed to have a Christ centered, God centered faith, and leading by the Holy Spirit, which would indicate that because the Holy Spirit Paracletos, comes and walks beside us, that we're not doing it by ourselves. We're not alone. And Christ is guiding and showing through the Holy Spirit, God is talking to us. We're not by ourselves. So those self-help gurus are teaching and making money on others by telling you and teaching you that you don't need God. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need Jesus Christ. You do it all by yourself. Well, that's not true. And just like these other people that brag about, oh, they're self, the self-made millionaire. Self-made. Hold on a second. Let's go back into childhood. Um, who is providing food and clothing and shoes and a roof over their head? Now, granted, there were some that were in a uh, foster system However, somebody was still helping them. And then somewhere along the line, a teacher or a mentor of some kind came and helped them out. A benefactor of some way, fame, shape or another came and helped them along, gave them a foot up and helped them out. Somebody along the line gave them a loan that they may have totally forgotten about. And unfortunately, some have totally forgot about it. Pardon me. And then they go on their merry way. Well, they didn't do it by themselves because had it not been for those instances of getting assistance somewhere along the line, even as a very young person, they wouldn't be where they are today, quite possibly. So, saying all of that, to come back to this, <clears throat> pardon me, this is comes to mind the... Uh, um Jesus gave us two parables or two stories of two different types of leaven. One is a warning and one is a laudation. And in one we find in Matthew 13 We're going to jump over to Matthew. Pardon me, I'm flipping pages. I have it marked, actually. I thought I did. Sorry about that. So we're going to go to Matthew 13 and 33. And what we're going to find... Well, I do apologize. I wrote down the wrong scripture and I am so apologetic for that. But we have two that Jesus shares with us. And one is showing that the the leaven on one hand is as the woman put the leaven, a little leaven in all of her flour containers, just a little bit in each one, that all of this was contained leaven. So that when she prepared the bread, that they all had the leaven. But in that instance, it's a good thing because a little bit is showing It's providing something, and and we have to understand and knowing that bread back in those days was a comfort food. And that in that little bit of leaven that she put in each one, it provided a light bread something that it was comforting and something that would still provide sustenance for others, which is what we're supposed to share in the kingdom of heaven. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, you have, when Jesus warns us about the leaven of the Pharisees. And he warns us of that leaven because what they do is is the leaven is um, it's an analogy to hypocrisy. And that you do what they tell you to do and not what you see them do, and that is the leaven that they put into their bread, which makes it very it's not a comfort food then it becomes very heavy, very weighted, and it's not a comforting meal to digest because when they are squawking to others to do what they tell them to do and not what you see them do, it makes for people to be very uncomfortable when they went prowling through uh, the market and they were traveling through the market and, and everybody would bow down and back away from them. They liked that. Everyone saw them for what they were and this is a problem that they also had with Jesus because he always spoke the truth. And they didn't appreciate that because then others saw them for what they really were. And they didn't like that much because there were a number of times where it was noted that a crowd came and followed Jesus and they appreciated what he was saying because he was speaking with authority, not as the scribes, not as the elders, not as the Pharisees. People were paying attention because he was speaking power, authority, and truth, always truth. They were speaking lies, and they were speaking untruth. So, the two times that Jesus is speaking about the leaven, one is good because it's showing the, uh, how, how is it? Um, oh, I thought I noted the right scripture. I'm frustrated now. Um, but Jesus is reminding us that it's, that that is like the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't take much for us to show people and we're showing them the love, the kindness, compassion that we're told to to do by God. And it doesn't take a great deal of pomp and circumstance to go out and beat the drums and all this stuff and, and get people to draw their attention toward what we're doing. It doesn't require that. And when he was speaking about this widow putting a little bit of leaven in each of her containers, that it was all all done, it was all what so when she prepared the bread, it was all according to what she wanted to do. On the other hand, as I shared with the hypocrisy of the uh, of the Pharisees in Luke twelve, we find that. That they are hypocrites. And he warns us of that. And he tells us to be, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because, well, when they, like I shared with you, they're telling you to do it all the way they tell you to do it. And not how they do it. And we can find this in Luke 12. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And that's pretty powerful in and of itself because, as I shared with you, many times when Jesus was speaking and there would be a crowd following him. He always made no, and they would say that his words were that with authority powerful and not at all like the scribes or the religious leaders. So it's important that we guard against that. A little bit of leaven is okay, because I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, I was a, I used to do baking and, and working and you have to use a little bit depending on what kind of dough you wanted. There is some unleavened bread and you don't want it to raise up, so you don't put leaven. You don't use it. And there's some religious uh, communities that use it for uh, when they do their communion service. They use unleavened bread. They don't go buy uh, little crackers and things. They they do the unleavened bread thing. And the priest will break it and and provide it and and then go out and give it to the congregation and. They do it that way, but it's unleavened bread. It's not heavy bread. But on one hand, you have the warning, and on the other hand, you have the laudation. And it is showing the kingdom of heaven and how it should be and how it should be. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take a great deal of pomp and circumstance. We don't have to beat the drums and we don't have to go out and make a big deal about what we're about. We can do it lightly and easily and showing and sharing So, um, well, I got to come back and apologize to you again because I found the scripture. It is in Matthew thirteen and thirty-three. And he spoke the two parables. One he spoke in Matthew thirteen thirty-three. Another parable spake unto them: the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid. In three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So she just put a little bit in until she got the desired leavening in the consistency. And that's what we need to be about. It doesn't have to be a great deal, it doesn't have to rise up so it fills up the whole kitchen area of the house. Just a little leaven. So, brother and sister, we need to pay attention. And here's the other thing, too. And remember, and, and I, find this, I, I find this a uh, kind of a, a fascinating direction I go through. That, And I've shared this with you before. Bethlehem, where Christ Jesus was born in this plane of existence, depending on how you translate it. In the Hebrew, Bethlehem is a house of bread. In Arabic, I don't want to. I don't want to butcher the language. I don't want to do that because I'm, I'm not familiar. But it's a. It's a little bit more throaty, but it means house of meat. And I find that absolutely biblically fascinating because the word of God is called the bread of life. Jesus Christ is like unto the bread of life. His word is the bread of life. He is also called our portion, our meat and our portion. And he also says that his meat is the word of God, the will of the father. So I love these analogies about Jesus that are shared with us throughout the Bible. And I love all these things here. And I love the fact that we have that ability to share with other people, to show other people, declare to other people. But here's the thing, too, that's important. Not to, not, no pandering and no placating. So you don't, it's not to appease or pacify folks, okay? That's, that's not what this is about. You need to speak the truth. Christ Jesus demonstrated by doing neither one of those things. He didn't pander and he didn't placate. He just told the truth, period. Only the truth. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, he wasn't placating or pandering to the Samaritans. That wasn't what, he was just telling the story and it was true. He wasn't trying to show them up above the Jews, the Jews to be less, to, to bring them up to, to uh, it wasn't pandering to them. He just told it like it was. And there are some people that didn't like it. Well, that's just kind of too bad because I've told you this before, truth is truth. And validation of man does not matter to me. Man or mammon does not matter. validation doesn't matter. What matters to me is that my father is satisfied with what I share. And if I'm sharing his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom, then that's all that matters to me. So what others might say, I don't care. I'm not going to be all confrontational and I'm going to be all agitated with what others share because they do. And I don't care, really. What I do care about is would rather that you seek his space and seek his truth, get into the word of God, hear the words that I'm sharing, but listening to the message that I'm giving Listening to that important message, to go to the Word of God, to seek Him in all things. So try my spirit, and remember, I've invited you to do that. First John, we find it there. First John, uh, uh, four one one. So, always tell the truth. And when Jesus was telling this, he was uh, talking about the Good Samaritan and the road to Jericho was, it could be kind of, it was not a good direction to go when you're going from uh, Jerusalem toward Jericho and you got to go through and, and you're traveling on that road. It's not a really good place to be. And a businessman was beaten and left for dead. They took his belongings on things. No one would come. No one came to help him except a Samaritan businessman. The religious elders, they stepped over him. And even crossed the road so they wouldn't have to be near him and they were they made the declaration, an audible declaration, unclean, unclean, unclean. As if that's supposed to protect them as some kind of a, a mumbo jumbo spirit thing that they as long as they say that out loud, they won't get the germs floating in the air to touch them. How ridiculous. And it was. It is. And there's some people that do that still. So they walked around him. They didn't help. The only person that came was a Samaritan businessman. Got him and put him on his animal. Put oil and and wine on his wounds so that his wounds would be cleansed. And the oil would provide the softness and nurturing to his skin. And got him there and took him to an inn. And he told the innkeeper, he said, here, you take care of him. Everything that he needs medically. And if I owe you anything more, when I come back, I will make Good. And the innkeeper already knew, was familiar with the man, he knew that what he was saying was true, so he did exactly what he was told to do. He cared for him and nurtured him until the businessman came back. And then, we also find that in whoops, pardon me, pardon me, I was meant to share scripture with you Number, so you can go check that out if you'd like. So we have the one scripture is in um, Luke 10 29 through 37 and this is the uh, you know when you had a, um, you had one of the scribes tried to come up and and stand up to Jesus and and said, "Well, uh, oh, who who is our neighbor?" We're trying to do that definitive thing again, and then Jesus took out and through the the uh, story of the Samaritan, when the man had compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, and made sure he was taken care of. And that's in Luke 10, 29 through 37. And then you have another that Jesus shares about the 10 lepers. You have 10 of them. And this is in Luke 17. Luke the physician. Luke the, ed, Luke the educated man. Luke, Luke had letters of education but in Luke 17 we sh- he shares with us of the 10 lepers in 17:11 through 19 and it, well actually back up here I'm sorry yeah 11 through 19 so when Jesus was traveling and he was kind of in between Samaria and Galilee. He was traveling in between, and ten lepers were there, and they were hollering out from a distance. But they wanted—they knew who he was. I imagine they probably recognized him, and were calling out to him for healing and saving. And he healed them, but nine took off. Only one came back, and that was the Samaritan. And he threw himself down at Jesus' feet and he worshiped him. Jesus got him up and said, go and your faith has healed you. Thy faith has made thee whole. So the important of the import of this is not that Jesus was Pandering or trying to placate the Samaritans, he wasn't doing any of that. Jesus was just speaking truth. He was not choosing sides one over another, which he doesn't do, and we can we find an example of that actually in Joshua five thirteen through fifteen. Let's follow the rule of faith. We're gonna jump over there. I do have that marked. So if we go over to five, thirteen and fifteen. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and beheld there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord, I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. That response was simply nay. I don't take a side. And I can remember when you had this political upheaval and all this stuff going on, which is still continuing in this land, by the way, this nation, which has turned its back on the Lord, which is also talked about in Jeremiah. In Isaiah, we see an example of this. And we have many prophets that speak to this relevant issue as it was then, it is now. God doesn't take a side. And there were people praying for a political persona to to be lifted up and that God would would allow them to win the political race. And the reality is that it was their political affiliation and had nothing to do with what was really good for the people. It was only what they wanted. Pretty sad. But God doesn't take a side like that. God is only on the side of righteousness. Period. Righteousness, period. Truth, period. And I think what many people do when they talk about things like uh, what side God's going to be on and what who, what political party is he going to uh, lift up and what political person is he going to support and allow to win doesn't work that way because a great many completely forget what Christ taught us in Matthew, took note of in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. But when, and I'm going to go back up to verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as a heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So you keep telling God the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, and it's like the complaint department. I've shared that with you before. God does not operate a complaint department at a department store. You talk to God, You, t- you prayers of anointing and supplication, you come up and you bring these petitions to God, but you don't, you just you just talk to him. He's your heavenly father. That's what he likes. But Jesus also said, tells us this in verse nine, or verse eight. Sorry. Be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of, have need of before ye ask him. <clears throat> After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our word, the daily word of God, this daily bread that we need as sustenance, the word of God, the truth. Give us, provide this for us daily and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not unto temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That is the prayer. We forget about the will of the Father. and We want him to support our political aspirations. We want him to support our political party. Seriously, God's not a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or anything. God is righteous. God is truthful. God is honest. Christ is that way. It's God's will for us to pursue and be accepting. So now I have a question. Is it God's will for us to pursue and be accepting of the derisiveness that is pushed by Satan and his minions? His minions could be those on the same plane of existence that we're on now, but they're functioning not as a Christian or a true believer. They're those um, label heads or self-proclaimed. They might claim to be, but they don't walk the walk. They're simply talking to talk and they're deceivers and liars and they don't speak the truth. They speak anything but the truth. So you suppose it would be God's will that we follow after what they tell us? I say nay. Do you rise up for your, from your comfort zone and babble in righteousness for the kingdom of heaven? There are many that say, oh, we don't have to do anything because we win. I, I read the end of the book. There's nothing that we need to do. What do I need to, to get involved about? <clears throat> we win. I don't need to do anything. Oh, you slothful and lazy so-called Christian that you go and you do nothing. You are called to share the kingdom of heaven with God. I pray for you. Because, you know, God looks down and sees you acting that way and doing that. He's not going to be very happy with you. And he's going to call to notice when you stand before him, he's going to ask you why you didn't get up off your easy chair, put down the bottle of beer that you were sucking on, the bottle of suds, and watching the football Why did you not go to church for that game? You decided to stay home with the game, and you ignored your family, your children, and you stayed there. How are you going to explain that to the creator of all things? Think on it. So you get up out of your comfort zone and you get out of that uh, palatial surrounding that you have and you get beyond the those that are with you and gather around you that make you comfortable and you get out of that comfort zone and you go out and you talk and share the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't take a lot, it really doesn't. You don't have to go out and spend a three hour sermon with your neighbors and your neighborhood. It doesn't require that. All you do is you show them a little bit of compassion, a little bit of kindness, and be gracious. It doesn't take a lot. I have to I have to get with the kids here because I and I haven't seen them for a while. So I don't know if I made them afraid of me or what, but see my service dogs get really excited and they like to come over because I have a, there's an expanse of grass that's along the side of the house and they like to play from the curb down that because they can, they don't have to be out in the street and all that. And, but they were really making the dogs excited and I didn't even think, didn't even think about it to just bring them back in the back room with me and close the door so they can't get out there and then just let the kids play. So now I have to find them, apologize and offer that to them because they'll just sit back here and hang out with me and they won't be bothered. And that's what I should do. So will that be a great thing for me to do? And and, and I'm not trying to... um, I'm not trying to... Well, maybe I am. I'm not going to feel guilty and all that for it, but it's just something that was uh, brought to my attention by the Spirit of the Lord that and in, in what they were doing and showed me exactly what they were doing because I was watching them uh, afterward and made note of the fact that this is what they were, were needing to do, and I didn't recognize that. So we have to be more aware and in tune of those around us and not so introverted. This is important for us to do, and it's important that we do these things because this is what we're supposed to do. And always remember, and always, this is very important. And in Matthew five, Jesus teaches, and he tells us, and Matthew notes it in five thirty-seven. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Which means that you just make it to be yes or no, period. That's all that's necessary, yes or no, period. Because anything other than that leads you to want to exaggerate or add things that don't need to be added. And we just need to be about the kingdom of heaven, the truth. And the spirit will guide us and lead us. And that's what we ask for. And I'm going to share with you in uh, John. Actually, in First John. First John 4. 1 through 6. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because they many false prophets are gone out into the world. <clears throat> Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that he came and he died for you, and that he shed his blood for you, And that he rose again on the third day for your sake, that he knows that you're weak, that he brought that strength to you so that you are redeemed, sanctified, and made holy. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Uh, this is John writing some 2,000 years ago that this was talked about. And when they talk about the Antichrist, it's not the, the thing that's coming toward the end, which is, of course, that uh, that's an important aspect. But anyone that teaches contrary to the teaching of the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and speak against that is Antichrist, an Antichrist. That pervert that was parading up and down the stage telling that John 3.16 is written wrong and that he's going to rewrite it so that the truth is told. That's an antichrist. And that you have another one that's professing that the Bible needs to be written and he's going to take it upon himself before he dies to rewrite the Bible so that it's more relevant. That is an antichrist. And John reminds us that they are already in the world. They have been in the world. They are in the world and they speak contrary to the word of God. Be guarded against them. This is why it's important to wear that armor of God. You don't, and these slothful, lazy individuals, hey, don't have to do anything. Well, yeah, you do. You have to go out and remind people that truth is Jesus Christ and faith in God and the Holy Spirit to guide us. And you have to battle against these things that the devil brings. It is a spiritual battle. We are reminded constantly in the scriptures that we are in a spiritual warfare for our very soul. That's what Satan wants us to lose out on. He doesn't want us to have that gift of heaven, which God desires to give to his children, us. He doesn't want us to have that. Why? Because he used to live there. He knows what he lost. He knows what he gave up. He doesn't want us to take part in that. No way, shape or form does he want that. So he's going to drive us away, the race of us, bringing up race, color, everything he can imagine to get in between us. But as a good and faithful follower of the truth, we rise up and battle against that. Using the word of God as our sword, the helmet of salvation to remind us of these things and to protect us from that white noise that comes from Satan and our breastplate of righteousness and that buckler, which God is said to be our buckler. Remember, I shared that with you. It's that very movable shield that we have that will guard us in front, behind, and each side. Further reading. Verse four. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error." Again, John reminds us in that same passage, First John 4, try the spirit in all things because that wickedness is in and around us in the world. Brethren and sisters, you are in my prayers, going out and coming in every day. Be blessed.